It's amazing how God can take the discarded and the despised things of this world and do something amazing in and through them. That's what he did with this woman that Jesus met at the well outside of Sychar. A few weeks ago we sat, we saw how Jesus reached out to her and offered her the gift of eternal life. And then last time we saw that when she tried to deflect the conversation, Jesus didn't get drawn into a religious argument, but instead taught her about true worship. And when she mentioned the Messiah, he revealed himself to her with the words, I who speak to you am he. And this revelation transformed not only this woman's life, but it also transformed her community. Remarkably, she became an incredibly effective evangelist. I'm going to read uh, from John chapter 4, following on from where we left off last time, two weeks ago. Uh, John chapter 4 and verse 27 uh, down to verse 42. So verse 27 says this. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits. Of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. If you were to think about what you think makes an effective evangelist, I wonder what you would say. What kind of person do you think would be successful in drawing people into God's kingdom? Maybe it would be somebody with the right background or with an amazing conversion story. 
or with an extensive Bible knowledge or relevant experience or Bible college training or an outgoing personality. Often what I think, what I think of is someone who is really very different from me. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think many of us in life feel that we are not good enough or experienced enough or equipped enough for the mission that God has given to us. We think that God can't really use someone like us. But this woman here was an incredibly effective evangelist in her hometown. It says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Through this woman, many people believed in Jesus. And yet, as we've studied her conversation with Jesus, I think we've seen a number of reasons why we might have assumed that she'd be ineffective in leading people to Jesus. For example, she was struggling in her relationships. She met Jesus at the well when it was about the sixth hour. She was there at midday, at the hottest part of the day, because she was trying to avoid the rest of the women from her town. So she wasn't at the heart of her community. Instead, she was right on the edge. She really was an outcast. And this was because of our poor reputation. Remember Jesus said, you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. The majority of the people in Sychar would not want anything to do with someone with so many failed marriages or such a sinful lifestyle. She'd also had no experience or training in evangelism. She'd never shared her faith before. She'd a very limited understanding of the gospel. And even this limited knowledge, well, was completely new to her. She'd been brought up a Samaritan with no real relationship with God. Remember, Jesus had said to her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. And then when she first met Jesus, She'd seen Jesus nothing more than just a Jew. You're just a Jewish man. Then a little later, she realised that he was a prophet. And she'd only really realised that Jesus was the Christ. Literally minutes before when Jesus told her. And then lastly, she'd a very unspectacular story to share. There was a a message of supernatural knowledge, but there was no healing miracle, or sensational experience, or blinding light. Jesus had just introduced himself to her by asking for a drink of water. And so in many ways, this woman was a very unlikely evangelist to reach her town. And yet none of these were unsurmountable barriers for her. None of these issues in her life stopped her.
from impacting other people's lives. And this is how God often works. God often delights to use the most unusual and unlikely of people to do his work. So he started his nation, the nation of Israel, through a childless old man called Abram. And then he rescued that nation through a murderer turned shepherd called Moses. And then he saved his spies in Jericho through a prostitute called Rahab. And then he anointed David, the youngest son of a guy called Jesse, who lived in the backwater called Bethlehem to be the king. And he brought his son into the world through Mary, a teenager, living in the despised town of Nazareth. God's usual way of working is to choose the most unlikely of people for his kingdom work. So Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. God chose the foolish things. The unlikely ones, the weak ones, the powerless, the lowly. And he does this to reveal his power. God chose to work through this woman to show that her impact on this town was not due to her good relationships or a wonderful reputation or her amazing ability or knowledge or experience. But God chose to work through her so that everybody could stand and look and say, this is, must be God working through her. So Paul writes that we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay. That's us. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God chooses to work through the most unlikely of people so that anything that we achieve is obviously, is clearly from God and not our achievements or our abilities. And the great news is this means our weaknesses, our limitations, our struggles, are not barriers to God working through us. Instead, they are opportunities for God's power and God's wisdom and God's grace to be more clearly demonstrated in us. Don't think of our problems and our difficulties as barriers. Instead, they are opportunities for God. So this woman was, a, was an unlikely evangelist. But the thing that she did have was a clear understanding of the urgency of her mission. 
Did you notice that when the disciples interrupted her chat with Jesus, verse 28 says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. Her immediate response to believing in Jesus was to leave her water jar and rush back to the town. Her household household still needed water. But her own personal needs were put to one side. And instead, she understood that the message that she carried was far too important to be delayed. It took priority over everything else. And this was Jesus' priority too. Jesus told his disciples in verse 35, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? That must have been a little, a little phrase, a little proverb that he used to say. Well, I tell you, Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. Again, as we've seen, I've seen before in John's Gospel, Jesus understood the time in which he lived. Farmers, they sow their fields. Then they have to wait for their seed to germinate and the crop to mature and to grow. But when the crops are ready, when they're ripe for harvest, they have to get out there and gather in the harvest as a matter of urgency. Because they know there's only a a short window of opportunity to gather in the harvest. And it's the same for when it comes to God's kingdom. For generations, through the prophets and through the priests, God had been preparing the ground, sowing the seed. The last to do this had been John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets. But Jesus is saying now, the waiting time is over. The time of reaping has come. So now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. And so now is the time of opportunity to go out with the gospel and invite people to into God's kingdom. The fields are ripe for harvest. So we mustn't put it off. We mustn't delay. Our orders are to go And make disciples of all nations. And if we're going to be effective in sharing our faith, then we need to understand just how urgent our mission is. And we need to be committed to fulfilling God's call on our life just as much as Jesus was in his life. The disciples, they come back from the town. They'd gone out to buy food. To bring back for, for Jesus and for, for them to share. But when the disciples urged Jesus to eat that food. This is what Jesus said. Verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Reaching out to this woman or to this and this woman and reaching out to this town is what Jesus lived for. 
It was that that fed his soul. It was that which gave him real satisfaction. And that was because he knew this was what God had called him to. This is why Jesus had come. And he was committed to making this the priority on his life. I wonder if that's true of us. I wonder if we know why we're here. Yeah, I know that we're we're here this morning to spend time in God's presence. We're here to encourage each other, to build each other up, to get support and love and and to grow in our understanding of God. And all of those things are important. Of course they are. But why has God left His church on earth today? Why are we living in Enniscorthy? Or Ferns? Or Bree or Bonclody or wherever we are? Why are we in that class at school? Why are we in that workplace? Why are we in that neighbourhood? I wonder if we realise it's because God has a mission for us. And are we committed to seeing that mission fulfilled in our lives? So this mission is urgent. But it also needs to be motivated by unconditional love. And I think that's what this woman demonstrated. Earlier, she'd been trying to avoid everyone in her town. She'd kept her distance to avoid their sideways glances, their judgmental stares. But now she ran to them with her loving appeal. Come, she said. She desperately wanted them to experience what she had. She was expressing that same unconditional love to them that she just experienced. Jesus, he didn't wait for his love to be earned or to be deserved before he offered it. His love was not just for perfect people. It reaches out in grace to those who have messed up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of Christ. And that's the love that this woman had experienced in her life. Unconditional love. She knew that she was loved despite her failures. And she then expressed that same unconditional love to the people of her time. She didn't ask if whether they deserved it or not. Or whether they'd been nice to her or not. Or whether they would accept her now or not. She just reached out in love. And we need to do the same. We need to urgently accept this mission because we passionately care about people. And not just some people. But even those who might reject us, even those who might hurt us, or let us down, or disappoint us. Jesus told us, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. We are the people who have experienced God's unconditional love. We celebrated it at communion this morning.
And so we're the people who need to express that same unconditional love to others. But this love should not only impact the fact that we do go to them, it should also impact how we go to people. Did you notice how gently this woman witnessed to her town? Verse 29, she said, Could this be the Christ? Now I think it's clear in the passage that she believed that Jesus really was the Messiah. Her urgency, her passion shows all of that. But maybe she felt that these people wouldn't listen to her if she just came up to them and said dogmatically who it was who was just outside their town. So she gently invited them to consider Christ for themselves. Come and see. Come and and make up your own mind about this. Could this be Jesus? Could Jesus, the man outside, be the Christ? It was like when Nathaniel argued with Philip over whether Jesus of Nazareth could really be the Messiah. Philip kind of diffused the whole tension of that situation by just saying, well, come and see. Come and investigate. And come and make up your own mind about this. Unfortunately, sometimes as Christians we've been too aggressive, too forceful in sharing our faith about Jesus. But Peter, the one who in earlier life was the guy who was always a bit too rash, he wrote that when people question our faith and the hope that we have, we should give them answers. But we should do this with gentleness and with respect. Speak gently. Respect the other person's right to make their own decisions. Try to lovingly lead them to Christ. That's what Jesus had done with this woman. As he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. So if we're going to represent Jesus, then we also need to do it gently and humbly. This woman spoke gently, but her message was really clear. Verse 29 again. Come, see a man. Come, see a man. Her message was all about Jesus. Now, Jesus had taught her lots of amazing things in in his short conversation with her. He'd spoken about living water, about eternal life, about true worship. She could have spoken to her community about lots of things. She could have given them lots of truth. But she knew the heart of the gospel message was the person of Christ. And so her invitation wasn't a theology course. It wasn't a lifestyle training course. It was simply to meet Jesus for themselves. And it was meeting Jesus that changed this town says in our passage that they came towards him and they listened to him and they urged him to stay with them for two days so they could spend more time with him. Later on the people said to the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe because of what you said, we now have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So guys, our, our, our primary job is not to correct people's wrong ideas or wrong beliefs or wrong religious practices 
or the wrong behaviour or the wrong morals. That's not our primary job. Our primary job is simply to introduce people to Jesus. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and 23. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ. Because only Christ can save sinners. Only Christ can transform lives. And so our focus must be to introduce people to him. That's our message. And that needs to be our unswerving focus. So this woman's testimony was all about Jesus. But then finally, it was so effective because it was an upfront testimony about our experience of Jesus. Verse 29 again. Come see a man who told me. She was speaking of a personal experience that she had. This man told me. Come and see him. And so if we're going to be effective in sharing our faith, then we need to talk about our personal experience of Jesus. God, he could have commissioned the angels to share the message of the gospel. I'm sure they could speak more powerfully than us. I'm sure they could speak more clearly about the reality of God. And surely people would listen to an angel better than any of us. Angels, they cannot speak from personal experience of salvation. They haven't experienced the emptiness and hopelessness of life without God. They've never experienced the struggle to believe in God's presence or power or grace. They can't share what it means and what it feels like to have their sins forgiven. Or to be brought into God's family. They can't do that. But if we trust in Jesus, then we can. And this is what we need to share. Not a stock, pre-packaged gospel presentation that we've just kind of learned and somebody's told us it and we've just rhymed it off. But rather a living, personal, life-changing relationship with Christ. This is what Jesus told the man who was healed from a legion of demons. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home and just share your personal testimony. And what made this woman's testimony just so effective was that it was so open. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Everyone knew what that meant. She was referring to our our series of failed relationships. She was referring to our questionable morals. It was a painful and embarrassing past. One that she tried to initially hide from Jesus when she spoke to him. But now she openly referred to it. Because she knew that that experience would draw people to him. She set aside her obvious desire for privacy and self-protection to open up her life and experience to others. This is what the Apostle Paul often did. The Apostle Paul is a wonderful theologian, an amazing teacher, 
But when he often had the opportunity to speak to people, what he did was, he just shared the story of how he became a follower of Jesus. And to do that, he's often had to speak about his shameful past. Now he didn't do that because he was racked with guilt, or he was trapped in that. Rather, he spoke about his past, because his sin highlighted God's grace. He was open about his mistakes so that he could declare Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And people would know what he meant when he said that. So this woman was willing to open up her life and let people see the mess and the sin so they could understand how Jesus had saved her. It's not easy to do this. It's not easy to talk about our failures in front of others. But when it reveals Christ more clearly, it can be such a powerful part of our Christian witness. Our message is not that we are good people and so God has accepted us. Our message is that we are sinners and we've messed up and we could never save ourselves apart from God's wonderful grace. So these are some of the reasons why I think this woman was such an effective evangelist in her town. And hopefully there's some of the encouragements that we can take from this this morning about why, how why and how God wants to work through us. God speaks through unlikely people. When we realise that we are on an urgent mission, one that is motivated by unconditional love, with an unswerving focus on Christ, and an upfront testimony of God's amazing grace in our lives.